Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God has given us our children. They were a gift given to us for us to care for for Him. And there is a connection to us. And in generations to come, who knows? Who knows if Jesus doesn't tarry that from us might come a man or a woman that God would use in an incredibly powerful way. God can speak to us in different ways, but we know the main way He speaks to His people is through His Word, through the Bible. When we read, understand, listen, and act on God's Word, not only are we blessed and used by God in amazing ways, our children and others around us are blessed too. With part two of our message on passing on our faith to generations out of Hebrews 11, 20-23, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Esau was like a man's man. He was a hunter. In fact, when his dad blesses him, he says, Esau, my son, you smell like a field. Now, that could either be a good or a bad thing, right? You're outside, you smell the fresh air, it smells like flowers maybe in the air, but somehow I don't think that's what Esau smelled like, okay? I think that when he told Esau, you smell like a field, it was one of those unpleasant days out in the field. As you walk through, you go, huh, it doesn't smell so good. Years ago, trying to give the differences between these two, I said, if I were going to do a movie on Esau and Jacob, these are the actors that I would choose for them. It's been about 20 years, all right? So maybe I can think of some new ones and you guys can throw me some ideas as time goes by. Not right now, but these are my guys, all right? Again, it's been 20 years since I did this. So my first one was for Esau and I would choose for him Tom Selleck. Either him or Sam Elliott. Are they, they're the same guy anyway, aren't they? Kind of like vice versa. They're a lot alike each other and those are the guys, that's the guy that I would choose for Esau. Man's man, hairy guy, right? Big, strong, man's man. For the other guy, you guys remember who I chose for this? Leonardo DiCaprio. But not, not the new Leonardo DiCaprio, all right? Because he's kind of looking rough these days, right? He put on some weight. I'm talking about the baby-faced little guy, all right, that was in the movies when he was younger, all right? That's my 20 years ago, all right? That's kind of the, the two that I picture. And so it doesn't surprise us that Isaac favored Esau and Rebekah favored Jacob. We see the differences and we get it, but it caused problems it caused such problems that they went at war against each other. And it was decades later before these two brothers worked things out. They finally did. And when Jacob was returning, Jacob still thought Esau was going to kill him, but he actually received him. And when Esau showed up and he said, I'll come home with me, Jacob said, oh yeah, okay, I'll be there in a couple days. You go on ahead. And he went the other direction. So he never really got to the place of working things out, but there were problems their entire life. And when they were, when Isaac blessed them, they went through, he went through all of those things to try to manipulate things to take the blessing he knew was supposed to be Jacob's and give it to Esau, but God did his work anyway. Now, having said that, that they weren't great parents, still by faith, he blessed his kids, even though he made mistakes. Now I can say to you today, I don't know. I'm sure there's good parents here, right? I'm sure some of you guys are, are the best mom. You got your best mom in the world mug and card and you deserve it. But there's some of you guys that haven't been so good of parents. Maybe you have regrets and you feel like I could have been better. And you think, I, I can't really bless my kids. Maybe your kids don't respect you because of your lacks in parenting. But I believe you can bless them today. Even if you've made some major mistake, we understand today not to play favoritism, but maybe there's been major mistakes, but you can still bless your kids because of that connection that I talked about. Now, Jacob, he goes... Jacob's family is really routed. He ends up playing favoritism as well. 
He's brought up in a family where favoritism is played and he ends up playing favoritism. You would think that he would learn not to, but he does. And here's how it happened. First of all, Jacob's life is one tragic event after another, after another, after another. Jacob's life is an interesting life to study. He became a polygamist, not because he wanted to. In fact, if Jacob's life were around today, he would be a reality TV show. Polygamy or us, maybe. Only he wouldn't say, I'm a polygamist and here's why, because I like it. He wouldn't say that, right? That's what these shows that are on today do. And isn't it illegal to be a polygamist? How can he have the TV? I, I don't understand. But anyway, nevertheless, that's what he, but he would say, I never planned it. Remember that when he kissed her and cried, that he went to her dad, Laban, and said, I want to marry her, but I don't have any money, couldn't pay a dowry. And so he said, but I'll work for her for seven years. And here's what the Bible says about those seven years, ladies. It says that his love for her was so strong that he worked for her for seven years, but it seemed like just a few days to him. See, I knew that was coming. I knew somebody <laughs> would not, but I knew it would be a girl's voice when that happened and not a guy's. We don't go, oh, isn't that sweet? We don't do that, all right? We go, gag me, all right? Okay, so. But on the day that he chose to, to marry her, her dad, Laban, took his ugly older sister, uh, Rachel's ugly older sister, and put her in her place. She's got a veil on. They get married that night. They go into the tent. It's dark. They consummate the marriage. He wakes up in the morning, and it's Cow Eyes next to him. That's her name, Leah Cow Eyes. Now, I had somebody argue with me a few years ago, cow's eyes are beautiful. Cows might not be really pretty, but Leah had pretty eyes because cow's eyes are beautiful. A few weeks later, I was out hunting and I, a couple cows were out there, so I shot them. No, I didn't shoot them. You're a rancher, I didn't do that, all right? I did not do that. But I thought I'll look at these cows' eyes. They really didn't do anything for me, okay? So I'm not really buying it, all right? Now, that's awful for everybody involved, isn't it? That's just a horrible story, isn't it? You could imagine being Leah. You're married off by, by trickery. You can imagine being Jacob. <laughs> you wake up and it's the ugly older sister. And you can imagine being Rachel, maybe the most tragic of all, that you're at home that night when you're supposed to be married to your husband and he's married and having sex with your sister. How awful that was for everybody involved. Laban, really, what a creep to do something like this. And when, when, when Jacob woke up and found Leah with him, he went and said, why have you done this to me? And he said, well, we have a custom in our culture that the older sister is, or the younger sister is not married before the older. That falls under the category of, you should have told me this earlier. I would have worked hard to get her married off kind of thing. And then he says, but, but fulfill her week and I'll give you Rachel and work for me for another seven years. So overall, he worked 14 years for Rachel, but he got to be married to her after a week. But God was, God intervened in this family. You can imagine the stress in this home, a loved wife and an unloved wife, right? And God looked upon Leah with favor because she was not loved and gave her a child. Isn't that neat how God moved in this family? I don't know, our emotions towards this couple that are in love and get married, but then have the sister there and now it's a polygamous family and it's weird, but God looks at their hearts and he sees the, the, the broken heart of this woman that's unloved and God gives her a child and then another child and then another child. The whole time, Rachel's not having any kids. And so Rachel gets her handmaiden, Bilhah, and gives her to, to Jacob. Says, take her as a wife and have kids for me. So now he has three. And then when Leah stopped having kids, she said, take my handmaiden. It's like, it's, it's like this competition going on. Take my handmaiden and have kids by her. So Jacob ends up with four wives, two concubines, two wives, and 12 kids eventually. 
And it wasn't until the 11th son, the 11th son that Rachel finally has a child. This woman that he kissed at the well and cried finally has a child, 11 sons into it. And so he takes that son and we kind of understand why he plays favoritism, don't we? It's the son of the woman that he loves. The rest of them are there. It's all odd. It's all weird. It's all strange. Now, Jacob could have said no, right, to the, first, to the next couple ones, but he didn't. And here they are. And now he's got his, his Joseph, his favorite son, and he makes him a coat of many colors or a coat with long sleeves. What he was saying was, you're my firstborn son. All these other sons that have come before me, they aren't my firstborn. You're my firstborn and everything's going to you and you're in charge. It created such problems that his brothers one day, when he went out to find them, they took him and sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but they sold him into slavery. And they brought the coat of many colors back to their father, Jacob. And they said, is this your son's coat? We found it in a field covered in blood. And he took the coat and he wept and he cried, thinking that his son had died. How tragic. Now, a few years later, there was a famine in the land and God had taken Joseph in Egypt and raised him from prison all the way to being governor in Egypt. And when they showed up because there was food in Egypt and no food in Canaan, the 10 brothers showed up and they didn't know that Joseph was the governor. They stood before him. He was dressed like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. They didn't know it was him, but he recognized them. And it was, it was a, it's, it's a great story. In fact, it's a powerful story. He kind of puts the screws to him for a few months, right? And then when they finally return again, he begins to weep in front of them. And they don't know why. They just think the governor's going crazy. He's crying in front of us. And finally he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. I'm the one you sold into slavery and I forgive you. What a great story of forgiveness. What a powerful story. Then they went home and got their father and they brought their father back to him. And the Bible says that Jacob and Joseph embraced and cried on each other's neck for a good long time. They just held one another and they wept and they cried. And then Joseph showed his dad his two sons. While he was in Egypt, he married an Egyptian woman and they had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's why when the list of the 12 tribes of Israel are given, you don't find the tribe of Joseph. You never find it. You find instead the tribe, half tribe of Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh. They are added in. And usually Dan gets left out for reasons we won't talk about today because it's not pertinent to the story. But uh, now we come to verse 22. That was the longest introduction to any verse I've ever given. In verse 22, it says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, excuse me, back to verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. When Joseph brought his sons to his, his father, their grandfather, to bless them, he brought the older boy to his right hand and his younger son to his left hand. So the older boy would receive the blessings of the firstborn. But when Jacob saw them coming, he knew that God wanted to reverse it. Like God had reversed it for him and his older brother. And so he crossed his hands. And Joseph thought he was having a senior moment. Joseph was like, dad, dad, I put the right, I put this son on that. This is the right. And he goes, no, I know what I'm doing. And he crossed his hands and he prayed. And by faith, he blessed them. And when you follow them, you find that the honor indeed does come to the older boy. And so his blessings made a difference, not only in the lives of the children in the case of Isaac, but also in the life of Joseph as he by faith blesses his grandchildren. Again, from generation to generation. Now we come to Joseph. And Joseph not only blesses his children and grandchildren, but 400 years later, look at what it says in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, 
made mention of, his de- of, of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning their bones. He didn't know that they were going to leave Egypt, but he spoke of their departure. What was the departure that, sp- that Joseph spoke of? When Moses was the deliverer and led them out with a strong hand. So God gave him a special revelation of his word, and he shared that with them. Now listen, today... I'm not saying that we don't have special revelations from God, like Joseph got. Joseph got a special revelation that God was going to have them depart, and he said, bring my bones with me. And when they did leave under Moses, they took the bones of Joseph with them. God may speak to you today outside of the parameters of the word of God. First of all, the main way in which God is going to speak to you and I is in the parameters of this book. This has been kept from generation to generation, Psalms tells us. It is alive and it is active. It it goes out to accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. And when we give it to our children, we make a difference in their lives. And when we live it, we live the example of living that in front of our children. But when God gives you a special revelation, it's always going to be in the confines of what we find here. Not anything different. If next week I come here to church and I tell you guys, listen, I was praying and God gave me a new message for you. You guys know it's not true, right? Because it's new. And anything that's new is not true. However, in the days of Joseph, he couldn't pick up his Bible and read it. And so God gave him a special revelation about what was going to take place. And by faith, he spoke the word to them. It was the revelation of the word to him, but by faith, he spoke it. And so I encourage you that you would pour the word of God into them. First of all, by living it. First of all, by saying, whatever God says, I want to do that. Do you believe that God's plan, purpose, hope, future for you is is better than the one that you have chosen for you? Do you believe that God knows what he's doing and that if you will, will follow what it says in the Bible about how you're supposed to live, that God will be able to do with you what he's going to do? And do you believe that the bigger picture is in store? I'm talking about future generations now, your children to come. Then we have a greater reason to live what we find in the pages of scripture than just our own personal lives. But what God may do through our children Isn't it incredible, parents, that we are able to bless our children in greater ways than just in the physical realm? That we can give them the greater blessing of living by God and passing that on from generation to generation? Well, we now come to the last verse. And the last verse brings us to Moses' mother. Her name was Jochebed. Last night in the service, I I brought up Jochebed and I said, does anybody know who Jochebed is? And a couple people raised their hands. And I said, we all know that Jochebed is Jesus's mother. And I said it wrong. I didn't realize what I said was wrong, but I knew I said something wrong because everybody in the room started going, he meant Moses, he meant Moses, he meant Moses, he meant Moses. I didn't know that's what they were saying, but I knew it was happening. So I get in the car with my mom. My mom came with me to church last night. I get in the car and we don't, we're pulling out of the parking lot. She goes, now, do you know that you said Jesus when you said it was Jochebed's mother? And I go, oh, no, I didn't know I said that. She goes, okay, well, tomorrow, make sure that you don't say Jochebed is Jesus' mother, but Moses' mother. No, on the way home, four times. I'm not kidding you, four times. She tells me that. We're driving home, we're halfway there. Okay, now remember, you got to say, I get up this morning, I'm getting my coffee, and I'm sitting in the living room. She sits down by me. Now remember, it's Moses, not Jesus, okay? But Jochebed is Moses' mother, and you remember that the command had been given for them to throw the babies, uh, Hebrew slave babies, into the river. Now, I think a couple of things are happening here. First of all, behind the scenes, Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people. God has promised that through them, the Messiah is going to come. If he can destroy those people, he can destroy God's promise. And so from the physical aspect, the Egyptians want to kill the male babies 
how the female babies grow up and marry them and assimilate the Hebrew people into the Egyptian people. Well, when Moses is born as a boy, by faith, they hide the baby. In fact, listen to how it reads here in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child. What if he was an ugly baby? What would it have meant? I'm not quite sure. He's a beautiful boy. Let's save him. The ugly one, let him go. But the beautiful one, let's save him. Now, by faith, they save this baby. And they hide him for three months. And when she can hide him no more, the Bible says, she makes a boat, she puts it in the river, and she pushes him away. She gets to the point where she has to give her child up. Now, hopefully that's not at three months old that we have to do that. But all of us have to come to the point where we give our children up, right? When my youngest started to drive, I got him a car. It was was an older Jeep. And I went out with him, got him his permit. And the first day that he's driving, the very first day, he's my youngest now. My other two had already gone through this. And I'm out there with him. I take a few pictures of him behind the wheel. I'm sure he was annoyed. And I tell him, now, when you go down the end of the road, remember, don't turn right because it's hard to get across the street down there. But instead, go left and go around. So I, I drives out of the driveway and I walk out to the street and I'm watching him. It's a dad moment, okay? I'm watching as my son, and he turns on the church and goes right. He's not even out of my sight. He's not doing what I told him to do already. We all have to come to that place where we give our children to God. And that's what she had to do. Now, she knew a couple things. Number one, she knew that Pharaoh's daughter, I believe that she knew that Pharaoh's daughter was bathing down the river. And she knew, put him in the current, he's going to go that way, okay? Number two, she sent Miriam, Moses's older sister, to go along and hide in the reeds and see what would become of him. So Miriam's sneaking down the way and the the boat comes down and stops in the reeds. And sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter says, go get that basket and bring it here. They bring it up and it's Moses. And it says that he was beautiful and he cried. As soon as the baby starts to cry, here's a lady. Oh, what a cute baby. And what's really funny now is that Miriam had come out of the reeds and now because they had picked up Moses, Miriam was standing there with them. Here's Pharaoh's daughter, all of her handmaidens and Miriam. And so... Pharaoh's daughter says to Miriam, go get one of the Hebrew women and bring her back to nurse the child. So she goes and she gets her mom and she brings her back and she gives her Moses back and says, I want you to nurse this child for me and I'll give you wages. Now she not only gets Moses back, but she's paid to be the mom. The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask and think. And here we have an example of that. All of us have to come to the place where we give our children to God. We've been given them for a while, and I talked about that connection. You as mothers given those children to raise. Even when you're older, that connection spiritually hasn't been broken. But you have to give them up. You've got to say, okay, I'm done. And maybe some of you moms don't do such a good job at letting them go, all right? Maybe you're still calling all the time. And I told you, it's Moses, not Jesus. So remember that, okay? You just keep on going. I'm 52 years old, mom, I know. (laughs) What I told my mom is, mom, I make these mistakes all the time. Everybody knows, okay? You guys don't even respond to them anymore. You just go, oh, he meant the other person. That's what you, (laughs) right? That's the way that I am. Now, I bring you to this point, the end of our study, to say this, that God has given us our children. They were a gift given to us for us to care for for him. And there is a connection to us. And in generations to come, who knows? Who knows if Jesus doesn't tarry that from us might come a man or a woman that God would use in an incredibly powerful way. I love to read biographies of men in the past like John Wesley and and D.L. Moody. 
I'm reading one on D.L. Moody again now. I'd read it a while back and I'm reading it again. And I see how he was raised up for the generation that would go through the Civil War. And how God used him in that time and made a powerful influence. And who knows, in generations to come, as this world races towards the last days, its last day, who knows that God might not raise up one of your offsprings. It's the Lord tarries. And that your faith today is a much larger picture than just your faith today. You say, well, I don't know. Living for God, I don't influence too many people. How do you know? Because we have an influence upon our children and faith is passed on. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this text and for the encouragement that we have from generation to generation, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Joseph, from Joseph to Moses. And we see how they were affected by the faith of their parents and grandparents and generations even before. And Lord, we pray that our faith would make a difference with our children and make a difference with our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren, however many generations off it may be until you come again for us. And Lord, we do say, come quickly. But Lord, we thank you that we have that influence with our kids. And we pray that we would bless them by having faith in you and that faith being passed on. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here in a moment, and I promise you, I'm not going to go on and on in what we call the altar call. I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, or maybe you did when you were younger, Maybe you made a commitment when you were a teenager or maybe you made a commitment when you were in high school or maybe even as a young man or young woman, but you haven't been following him. The Bible says as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. That means you have to receive him. Going to church is good. I'm I'm glad you're here, but you've got to open up your heart and say, I want you in. Going to church can't save you. It's not about joining a church. It's about committing your life to Jesus. And if you've made a commitment to him in the past and haven't been living for him, then perhaps today you would say that as well. Now, if you don't want to live for him, you don't have to. You've been given a choice. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life and live. And if you say, I don't want to follow him and I don't want to live for him, you don't have to. But if you want to today, all you need to do is open your heart and say, I want you in my life. So if you're here today and you're ready to give your life to him and serve him and follow him, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Just lift your hand up. Wherever you are now, lift your hand now and lift it up high so I can see it. I want to take time to acknowledge your hands. God bless you, sir. Back over to the right. That's great. And ma'am, over by the aisle. That's awesome. And sir, ma'am there, sir there. And then back over here, the child there. That's awesome. Sir against the back wall. That's great. Right here by the aisle. God bless you. All the way back to the left, sir. That's awesome. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Raise your hand now. Lift it up high so I can see it. God bless you guys. All over by the aisle there. That's great. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raise their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus upon the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.